Welcome to We Are What We Buy with Dr. Michael Solomon. We'll take a deep dive to look at the patterns, habits, brands, and benefits that drive your customers to buy. The tips and concepts you'll hear on the program will have you standing head and shoulders above your competition. Now here's your host, Dr. Michael Solomon. Welcome back to We Are What We Buy. So today's show is entitled, I Want It Now, How to Engage Your Customers. This is one of the most pressing and important topics, I think, in all of marketing today. And, and I do believe that uh, when, you, when you say to people, what's the biggest marketing challenge that you face the answer is not something like, you know, how to develop the sexiest ad campaign or something like that, but really just getting people to pay attention to your products and services. So think about the marketing environment in which you and I and, and all of us live now. We're just bombarded by messages constantly, whether we want to see them or not. So let me ask you a question. Can you guess how many commercial messages each of us is exposed to every single day? Do you think it's 100 a day? Do you think it's 500? Maybe even as much as 1,000? No, it couldn't possibly be 1,000. Well, the actual range is more like 3,000 to 5,000 messages every single day. So how can marketers break through the clutter to let their customers and potential customers know about the value they offer. It's a huge problem, and of course, there's no one perfect solution, but there are many ways to skin a cat, and on today's show, we're going to explore three very different ones. So let's dive in with our first guest. Two of the most powerful words in the human language are thank you. And when you back those words up with meaningful rewards and recognition, the combination can propel your company to new heights. An effective engagement program is one of the most cost-effective ways to inspire a company's employees. And they, after all, are your best marketers. If you can engage the people who sell and represent your product, you've jumped over a huge hurdle because they will channel that enthusiasm to your end customers. So Brand Movers is a company that specializes in doing just that. My first guest is the CEO of Brand Movers, Dr. Andrew Mitchell. Now you may know the song by Sting called, I'm an Englishman in New York. Well, Andy is close. He's an Englishman in Atlanta. I had the pleasure of meeting him when I was on the faculty at the Manchester School of Business in the UK, where he was completing his PhD in digital marketing. Uh, Andy started Brand Movers in an Atlanta incubator in 2003, and since that time, he's overseen digital promotions for a diverse portfolio of global clients, and these include some little companies like MasterCard, Disney, Pepsi-Cola, Wrigley's, Marriott, Hilton Hotels and Resorts, and L'Oreal. So, Andy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, well, yeah, thanks for inviting me, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, let's, let's start with a brief overview. Uh, can you just give us a quick commercial about what Brand Movers does and how its promotions help to boost 
employee and customer engagement? Sure. Um, what's actually what we actually do is we help brands connect with the customers in a more meaningful way. And what I mean by that is because things have gone digital, customers now have access to things in different ways at different times with different devices. So sometimes they want to access content via a mobile or via a desktop and other through social media. So we develop the technology that connects brands with the customers um, on any specific device at any time. So we actually, it's the customer, the consumer is empowered to decide how they would like to engage with the brand. The, the shifts move from the brand to the customer. The customer now can control is in charge of the controls. If that makes sense. So you you used a very important word there in your description, and that is empower. And I think empowering consumers is the big, the big challenge today for marketers because it's a mixed blessing. Market, uh, consumers are, if they're more empowered, they're more engaged, but they also have a lot more choice and we have a lot less control about uh, over what they're exposed to, et cetera. So when you started Brand Movers, what was your first aha moment about consumers that made you realize that this kind of service was really needed? Yeah, um, well, my, my first aha moment was prior to kind of the internet boom, if you like, which was uh, pre-2000, we were running sales promotions for brands whereby you'd go into a grocery store and there'd be an on-pack offer, which would be something like this, buy four boxes of cereal, um, say the cereal was 2 or $3, and then collect four of them, mail in and get a free DVD, which might be worth, say, $15. So the theory behind that was that most shoppers would go, hey, this is a great deal, buy the four boxes, and I actually get a $15 value um, when I, I send in the, the proof of purchase. And um, what was happening was we were actually underwriting these promotions for the brands. So we would actually say to them, we would charge you a fixed price, a fixed fee, and regardless of the number of people who mail in for that offer, we'll keep the price fixed. So we'll charge you so many pennies per pack, and you run it on, say, 10 million packs, and we'll give you a fixed price. So we were actually underwriting that risk. And we were taking the, um, the view that at the point of sale, the consumer was saying, I'm going to take up this offer. So they'd buy either one or two packs or all four at once, then go home, and their intention would be that they were going to mail in and get this offer. What often happened was when they got home, they'd actually bought the product, but then they'd either lose the receipt or they put it in the drawer. So their intentions at purchase weren't the same when they actually came to fulfill the order. So it was actually people might mean and, and do things at a certain time, but then they might not follow through. So their actual intentions at the point of sale were good, but then either through laziness or couldn't be bothered, they wouldn't mail in. So that's kind of how we made our money, but it was based on what people say and do. What people think is not what always what they do. So that was a, a, a big aha moment for me. Um, and what happened then, with it, around about 2001, 2002, we started moving those promotions online, and we found the same behavior um, where people were buying products 
um, and then coming online, or buying products online, the same behavior followed. So that, that, that was a wake-up call for me that you would have thought people would, would do it, but they actually didn't. Yeah, so, you know, there's a saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and I think in, in marketing, the road to purchase is paved with good intentions. So, so clearly, there's value for, for platforms like yours that, that really get people to act at the time that they're thinking about it. So I, I assume that's a big plus for you. So, so at the end of the day, I, you know, obviously the, the revenue that something like this generates is that's your bread and butter, right? That's your ROI. Are, but are there, are there other ways that, that you measure the success of a campaign in terms of engagement of consumers? You know, do you actually ever talk to, to people who are participating and share that information with the client to assure them that customers are really tuning into what you're doing? Sure, we actually get consumers actually writing into us saying when they've, they've either they've won something, either whether it's in a contest, a game, or a sweepstake, uh, and just how, how pleased they were with the prize or the experience, something that they might never have been able to do on their own. They actually write in and are thankful to the brand for, for, for running the promotion. So we get quite a lot of those. Even sometimes, if, you know, secondary and, and third prizes, which are smaller than the grand prizes, they're still very meaningful and, and have a big impact with these consumers. Here's a question for you uh, related to that. Now, you know, you've worked with lots of big companies. Uh, many, of, many of our listeners probably are not working, you know, they're not running Pepsi-Cola or Disney or what have you. They, they may be running a business that's a bit smaller. Maybe they don't have the budget for a, a huge promotion like the kind that you, you might develop for, let's say, Pepsi-Cola. Um, any recommendations for how a smaller business with a more limited marketing or promotional budget can can work with you or can use some of the techniques that you develop to engage their customers? Sure. Well, what we've learned through this whole process is obviously, like, like you mentioned, there's large international Fortune 500 type companies who've got bigger budgets. But at the same time, small to mid-sized businesses still want to connect and engage the customers. So what we learned from that was the, the, the tactics and strategies that these larger companies were using, we actually baked them into a platform. So we started building platforms, promotional platforms, where small to mid-sized businesses can operate these kind of promotions, but maybe not quite as customized. So it, it would be more of a, um, here's the functions and features that you can you can utilize but a fraction of the cost if you was to build it from scratch yourself. We converted them into, into promotional platforms to allow small businesses to be able to you know, run these type of pr programs. So we have worked on that and th those type of promotions are available um, for the smaller business at a fraction of the cost. But at the end of the day, I think for, for, for every business, it's, it's understanding your customers and how you serve the customers and how you communicate with those customers. So what technologies enabled us to do is some customers prefer communications via text, others via Twitter, um, others via email, others via snail mail. It's just being able to capture that information and connect with your customers the way they want you to connect with them. Yeah, and of course that's relevant to any business today, big or small. So that that's very valuable. You know, I I mentioned earlier that uh, 
that a big, a big uh, component of connecting with your end customers is energizing your own employees because they really are your best uh, sales force, whether or not they, they're actually working in, in sales. So I know that you also create programs to do that, you know, what we sometimes call internal marketing. How do you get the employees to get excited? Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how you approach it from the inside? Your employees are your first customers. Um, so if you've got uh, disgruntled employees, there's a high likelihood of correlation with not good customer experience. But when your employees are happy, engaged, and feel uh, recognized and rewarded, that, that actually transmits out to the customers because the customers know when employees are, are happy because their experiences are normally better. If we, I would say to any business, small, medium, or large, your first customer is the employees. So let's, let's start with getting that right first. And one of the ways um, we've done that is we've built technology um, to help companies because management's always got always changing things so they're always trying to improve efficiency performance profitability safety etc 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 and on the other side of the equation you've got employees or team members who hate change they don't want change because you just taught them how to do one thing and they don't want to keep having to reach you know rework what they just learned however when you recognize and reward employees for the things that you've asked them to do, we can align the interests of both management and employees where everybody wants the same outcome and goal because management's achieving its goals and, and targets and the employees are getting recognized and rewarded above and beyond and everyone's happy. So that, you know, we believe that's a really great sweet spot for businesses is make sure these um, employees are engaged and recognized and rewarded rewarded and you're going to have some great customer experiences. Okay, great. And, and so, uh, you know, as we're wrapping up here, I know with regard to, to that, um, you've generously offered uh, to give a free gift to, to listeners, uh, a free sign up for one of your platforms that, that helps uh, programs like this. You want to uh, tell listeners quickly what that's about and how, whether it might be valuable for them. Sure. Um, well, we've got two. We've got two platforms. We've got one for small businesses, and I'm classifying small businesses as maybe people of fifty or less. And it's designed to enable your employees and a recognition system. And it's called Three Cheers, the number three, and then Cheers.com. And normally that's a two hundred and fifty dollar value um, to sign up for. So for the listeners, we're offering those. Um, Obviously, they're going to have to come through through yourself, Michael, and we'll, we'll give them that free two hundred and fifty dollar value. Um, and for the for the larger co um, customers who've got more than fifty employees, we're offering our um, enterprise platform, which which can actually integrate with HRIS systems, um, and, and uh, is very uh, flexible um, in in its functions and features and, and customizable, and that. Is called Rewardian, and um, so for people with 50 employees or more, we're offering um, to onboard them onto Rewardian, which is a $1,000 value, um, for, for, but only exclusively to your listeners. Well, that's fantastic, and I, I know a lot of people are probably going to want to take advantage of that. So uh, if anyone is interested in, in taking Andy up on his kind offer, uh, just drop me an email at michael at michaelsolomon.com. 
and I'll be sure that somebody at Brand Movers gets back to you. So that's my way of motivating you, I guess. Uh, and uh, stand by, because after the break, our next guest will share a very different way to engage with customers. So, Andy, thanks so much for coming on and uh, sharing your insights with us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Michael. It's been great. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Book international speaker and renowned author Dr. Michael Solomon for your event today. Michael's presentations reveal cutting-edge trends in advertising and marketing, branding, consumer behavior, and social media. He captivates audiences with the insights he unveils during his interactive keynotes and seminars. Michael has spoken to Fortune 500 companies, top advertising agencies, associations, and branches of government on five continents and has received rave reviews. Book Michael today at michaelsolomon.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Marketers, Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer by Dr. Michael Solomon is a revolutionary book that explores the psychology of the consumer in today's changing times. The book is packed with information and tools you need to create winning marketing strategies for a complex marketplace. Michael encourages readers to move out of the box, to think like contemporary consumers, and do things differently. This is a reader's favorite. Order today at Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to We Are What We Buy. To reach Dr. Michael Solomon or his guest on today's program, please send an email to michael at michaelsolomon.com. Now back to We Are What We Buy. Well, everyone, welcome back to the show, We Are What We Buy, and on this program, we are looking at different ways to engage and energize consumers. And, and as I've said earlier, really one of the biggest challenges today is just to wake people up. And we're we all so bombarded with, with so many different messages and so many different demands on our time that, that uh, marketing has, it has become a real challenge and it certainly raised the bar for advertisers. And so... Uh, our next guest is going to give us a great perspective on that, on, on advertising and on how uh, ways that advertising can engage uh, the customer. So I'm, I'm really, really happy to introduce Sarah Bamosi. Uh, she is the co-CEO of Pitch, which is a boutique full-service advertising agency based in the arts section of Culver City in Los Angeles. And Sarah has a long history uh, in the advertising world. She spent over 15 years as a strategist for various ad agencies around the world before becoming the co-CEO of Pitch. So 
Sarah, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Great. Well, let, let's just dive in, and you know, I, I'm going to start with, uh, with, with a negative, and I hope you'll turn it into a positive. Uh, you know, there are people out there who claim that advertising is dead. Uh, you know, traditional advertising, uh, television and all that, it's really a thing of the past. And um, uh, I, I don't believe that. I'm guessing you don't believe that since you uh, run an ad agency. But uh, tell us a little bit about Pitch and what you do and, uh, you know, in the process, hopefully make the case that advertising is not dead, that it's alive and well. Sure. I think I'll start with the, the second part of your question, and then I'll come back to the fun part, which is the first part of your question. Um, so at Pitch, um, as, as you mentioned earlier, we're a full-service creative boutique, and our name is tied to our overall philosophy, which is finding your pitch, which means, um, you know, the thing that we think that we are really the best at or our superpower as, a, as an agency is getting straight to the heart of you, the truth of what you stand for, finding your sound, your story, and expressing that truth with the most beauty and the most brevity in the content and channels to reach the people that you want to, to speak to. And um, which is why our, our whole approach to creative work that solves problems is what we call return on creativity. Um, and so, and our philosophy is actually founded in this kind of post-apocalyptic advertising world that you started to, to speak about. Um, I think when people say that advertising is dead, even people who work in advertising think that certain types or ways or approaches of advertising are dead. But um, what's still very much alive and well is the desire to share information with other people and wanting to um, express your ideas or what's unique about you and what's unique about your brand to the people that you're trying to reach. And so it's just really the ways and methods in which we're doing that that are, are really different than they used to be or have changed a lot uh, in the recent past. Can you, can you give uh, may, maybe an example uh, to the listeners, you know, may, maybe a campaign that you've done? I know you, you've worked on some very cool campaigns that are very innovative. You know, what, what's an example of a way that you and your team have approached this challenge of uh, – you know, getting people to tune back into advertising. Yeah, I can think of a couple uh, examples off the top of my head. Um, one is for um, our our longtime client Westfield, uh, which is a um, well, they're actually um, you know held by a larger company now, but they're a series of high end uh, shopping malls across the U.S. is the the part of the company that we work with, and. Um, shopping malls were really faced with a similar kind of dilemma that you were just describing before that the, that the mall is dead and retail is dying, but, but actually that's not quite true. It's, it's just shifting how people think about these different spaces that they come together for community and culture and discovery and, um, and how we speak to them about this place that is a mall, but it's, you know, we're not trying to brand, we're not trying to be an anti-mall. They're really embracing the best of what that place can be. So all of our, our strategic work and our creative work for Westfield is about a place where all your needs will be met, where you can, um, whatever kind of mission you are, whether it's for enjoyment or to complete your errands or to get some alone time or spend time with your family or different things like that. Those are all things that you can do in Westfield. And, um, we, 
we've changed the way that we create content. It's not just like one large scale fashion shoot that you do once a year and then you plaster that image everywhere. It's um, constant co-creation in a more editorial style in partnership with our clients at Westfield to create um, high quality assets, but in a larger volume across all the different channels that people want to um, follow them all. And it's not just, it's a unified consistent message, but you might want to engage with the Westfield that's near you in San Diego or Los Angeles or New York or New Jersey or wherever you happen to be. Um, how is that content a unified from a unified brand perspective, but speaking to the local people about why they go to that center and the, the strength of that particular center. And, you know, you, uh, something you said, um, uh, really got my attention. You were talking about this, this notion of community and, you know, that being something that, for example, malls provide that maybe Amazon can't at least yet. Um, let's think about advertising that way. I mean, to me, you know, one, when advertising is done really well, I look at it as part of our culture, uh, for, for better or worse. And, and, um, I think you've worked on some campaigns, you know, where, where the, you know, the idea that is to get people excited enough or engaged enough about the, about the topic that, that it does create a sense of community because they're talking about it with others. Right. I mean, isn't part of the goal of, of advertising to stimulate word of mouth and to get to not necessarily to get people to run out and buy a product today, but to create a more enduring brand personality and, and to build a community around the brand. Is that something that, that you would agree with? Um, yeah, a hundred percent. And depending on what the brand is and, and who they are, who their existing community is or, who they see as an opportunity of someone who would be attracted to their brand, but maybe might not know about it. The approach could be really different. So um, another example, we work with uh, Kavita, which is a kombucha brand. They make a line of sparkling probiotic beverages and kombuchas and apple cider vinegar tonics, um, which is an emerging category and functional beverages. If you've, been to Whole Foods anytime recently, or even Kroger and many other convenience stores trying to carry these these kinds of beverages. There's been huge growth in in drinks that have probiotics or fermented culture but drinks. Um, and a huge part of growth for those brands and brands like Kavita is word of mouth. Because it might not be something that you have heard about on your own or when it's initially described to you, it might not seem like something that you would instantly say, recognize as something that you would enjoy. But if you have a friend who said, Hey, you got to try these, these new kinds of uh, sparkling probiotic drinks. They, you know, are really uplifting and they make you feel great and they actually taste amazing. Why don't you try one? that is the way of growth for those kinds of brands. So the types of things that you create for brands like that are, are shareable um, bite-sized content that, um, you know, has a little bit more fun to it and, and, and trying to get people to tell their friends about something that they, that they like. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And so, you know, and it raises another, um, you know, which gets, back to this issue of whether advertising is dead or how useful it is. So, you know, when we talk about emerging categories and, and of course we're seeing a lot of disruption, we're seeing new categories like that, which, which is fascinating. Um, 
you know, some people might say, well, why do I need an ad agency to do that? You know, the power of social media, why, why don't I just go out and find some influencers, uh, you know, to blog about these new pro uh, probiotic products or whatever the product is? Uh, why, should I, why should I pay an ad agency to do that? What do you bring to the table that somebody, you know, just sitting at their computer with a tremendous social network can't deliver? Yeah, I think what we bring is a, a little bit of what I was talking about up front, uh, the storytelling. Because, yes, of course, you can always buy exposure and you can always buy great exposure. And what you might not have when you go that route is a cohesive story from all the different ways that someone might encounter your brand. What is that strategy that's expressing the heart of what you stand for and how is that being expressed across all the different channels? How are you briefing those influencers? What are you telling them that, you know, like how are they, how are you tapping into the right influencers that are aligned with the values that you care about and the purpose that your brand cares about? So I, I think it, that's what that thinking is. And, and when you're, um, you know, the founder or, the owner of the brand, sometimes even though you know all of that information, it's harder to distill it or crystallize it down into the simple strategic essence, the one-line creative story, the single image that impact, can it really impactfully get across what that is. And that's what we, that we bring to the table as an advertising agency. Yeah, great. And, and, you know, I, I guess an, another stereotype we have about advertising is that that means, you know, we think about Mad Men or something like that, where we're talking about creating television spots and so on. But, but of course, the big buzzword today is omni-channel. And, and can you just talk about that a little bit? I mean, I assume that Pitch is definitely an omni-channel agency and that you're, you're, once, you craft, once you craft this story, and I agree that that's, the, you know, the central value that advertising brings, how are you thinking differently about, uh, about different um, channels that you might use to convey that message? Yeah, so we do a lot of work in, um, in comms planning, which is what you described, and there's, there's a lot of different tools and ways to, um, to do advanced audience design, and what that really means is like, who are you trying to get? And also, by the way, don't go too narrow because you might have missed some pockets of people who'd be interested in your brand that you, you might not have understood. So, like, what are, the, what are all the different um, inputs that you want to consider when you're designing your uh, plan around the audience? What channels are you using? How are you thinking about even to the, you know, to the very um, – detailed data points that you can use now in, in media planning and buying down to the time of day, the geography, the location that the person's in. Um, right now you can do amazing things and even out of home, which is considered, you know, a lot of people might think like, Oh, it's a billboard. That's not dynamic. But there's so many amazing new technologies that you can use with digital out of home that understand what the weather is, understand which direction traffic is going um, understands the, you know, the specific nature of the 
people who happened to use that particular train station in that particular city that would speak very directly and personally to them um, in a way that um, shows an understanding of content and context that makes your message far more effective. Um, and you don't always need to do huge spend um, television ads to, to reach the right people in the campaign. Oh, interesting. Uh, let me ask you one more question, Sarah, and I ask this question of a lot of my guests. Uh, you know, your, your clients are relatively big companies, uh, at least big enough to afford a reasonable advertising budget. But uh, I, a lot of my listeners are probably working in smaller companies, you know, uh, smaller stores or startups and so on. Um, for them, is, you know, is advertising still an option when you have a fairly small budget or almost no budget at all to, to promote your product? I think it's definitely an option. Um, there are ways to create uh, at least momentum and, and for yourselves. We do we do actually work with some small startups or um, brands that don't have big budgets. Um, we do things called like idea sprints where we might do a couple of sessions over, let's call it three days, where we can help them map out their strategy and give them a few key critical assets that they can then take forward um, and use in-house talent to then um, create more based on that initial jumpstart that we've provided. Yeah, well, that's that's all the time we have. I wish we had more because uh, these are some great insights and, you know, I I vote. I vote that advertising is still alive. So, um, I, and I think <laughs> so. At, at least that's two of us. But I, I think uh, our listeners would agree that advertising is a great way to energize consumers. And and uh, you've you've energized our listeners. I I appreciate it. And thanks so much for coming on. Well, I'm I'm happy to say that Sarah has generously offered to give some of the listeners a gift for listening today and for learning about pitch. So Sarah, would you please describe what you want to do? Sure. Thank you so much. So yes, if you email Michael at michaelsolomon.com and with the subject line pitch, the first five people we'd love to share our pitch agency swag bag, which is a, um, a really comfy hoodie, um, a water bottle, a notebook, a pen and a uh, reusable uh, bag. So for the first five people, just please email Michael and let him know your sweatshirt size. And we would love to send that gift out to you. We'll mail it to you directly. That's amazing. I think I'll email myself and get one of those. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. I, I really appreciate that. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Marketers, tear down these walls. Liberating the Postmodern Consumer by Dr. Michael Solomon is a revolutionary book that explores the psychology of the consumer in today's changing times. The book is packed with information and tools you need to create winning marketing strategies for a complex marketplace. Michael encourages readers to move out of the box, to think like contemporary consumers, and do things differently. This is a reader's favorite. Order today at Amazon.com. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Book international speaker and renowned author Dr. Michael Solomon for your event today. Michael's presentations reveal cutting-edge trends in advertising and marketing, branding, consumer behavior, and social media. He captivates audiences with the insights he unveils during his interactive keynotes and seminars. Michael has spoken to Fortune 500 companies, top advertising agencies, associations, and branches of government on five continents and has received rave reviews. Book Michael today at michaelsolomon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to We Are What We Buy. To reach Dr. Michael Solomon or his guest on today's program, please send an email to michael at michaelsolomon.com. Now back to We Are What We Buy. Welcome back, everyone. And today we are talking about one of the biggest challenges that marketers face, no matter what kind of product or service you're selling, and that is how to engage your customers, uh, especially in a world where people are overwhelmed by marketers who are trying to engage them. So we've, we've talked to some experts who, uh, who are working in advertising, who are working in sales promotion, and my third guest is someone who is working in a fascinating area. It's a much newer area, uh, it's gotten a lot of attention over the last few years, and some of you may be familiar with this idea. Many of you probably aren't. The, the basic concept is what we call gamification. And so if we're going to talk about gamification, and we'll get into just what that means, uh, there's no better person to talk about that with uh, than my guest here, and uh, his name is Gabe Zickerman. And Gabe is an entrepreneur, he's an author, public speaker, uh, he teaches, uh, he's very well known for his work in gamification. Uh, Gabe is originally from Toronto, he now lives in Los Angeles, and I'm delighted to have him on the show to talk a bit about engagement and gamification. So, hello Gabe. Hello, great to be here. Great, thank you. And let, let's just uh, let's talk a little bit more generally about this this challenge of consumer engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why is it so t- so difficult to get consumers engaged, and, and why do you think that's a problem? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a number of different factors. Probably the biggest one, the one on everybody's mind, and certainly every uh, parent's mind, is the technology distraction. Right. So the devices in our pocket, the uh, especially, you know, the, the mobile phone, the smartphone have been amazing tools for marketers to reach people where they're at. But on the other side of that equation are largely the sort of big five tech companies, right? Facebook, Apple, Google, uh, Microsoft, and Amazon. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to get as much uh, mind share and usage per day as possible from each and every individual user. And so what that means is your phone is constantly beeping at you 
and telling you that there's stuff going on. And because many of those companies have used smart gamification principles to make their products more addictive, they have an upper hand in the, uh, in the battle for people's attention. So here's, so the, the summary is, Facebook would like you to spend 24 hours a day on Facebook. If they could control you, for, you know, fully control you, you would be doing everything on Facebook. And you know, that, that may be fine, um, it may not be fine, but certainly from the perspective of a, you know, perspective of a marketer or some organization trying to get consumer attention and buy-in, um, you know, it adds an extra kind of gatekeeper layer and, uh, you know, and complexity to that. So I think that's the, honestly the biggest problem today. And, um, you know, and in order to combat that, businesses and marketers have to be better at making their products more engaging, more fun. So ironically, the marketer's job is harder because other marketers have done such a good job of engaging us, the tech, the tech companies. Yeah, in a sense, but really what the tech companies want to do is they want to be the gateway. They want everything to flow through them. You know, they, they don't want you to be able to talk to people directly. They want you to be able to only be able to talk to people through them. That's how they monetize. So that's fine, except there's, you know, countless examples of companies you know, when Facebook makes a small change to its algorithm, all of a sudden you lose your, your users. They just disappear, right? So it's this, uh, what we call in the tech business, platform dependence that is increasingly obvious um, in industries beyond technology. Yeah. And, and I want to get into, you know, the gamification solution, but, sure. but also, you know, more generally, we have this notion of the jaded consumer. So when they're, you know, they, they love to be on Facebook, but when they're not on Facebook, do you think they're as enthusiastic about learning about products and services as we'd like them to be? Is that part of the problem as well? I mean, uh, you know, a certain percentage of the population is very interested in, they're very curious. They like to learn new things. And we, we talk about in gamified design, we talk about this person as, as the explorer type uh, so we have these personality types, explorers. One of them, this is the kind of person who's very curious. They want to figure everything out. They want to understand how the world works, and they like to discover new things all the time. Um, you know, when building a solution that's targeted at people's, like, you know, inherent behavioral instincts and personality types, crucially, you have to speak differently to the different groups. So there is a subset of the population that cares a lot about discovering new products and services and new ideas. But are they the majority of your population? Probably not. The majority of your population are likely what we call socializers, which is people looking for positive social reinforcement in their lives, positive reinforcement. So those people are, are more likely to be the, uh, the bulk of the audience. And at its core, no matter which group you're targeting, the missing piece that, that's often evident to me or when I, when I look at the way that things work is that people just do not invest enough in making experiences fun. They just don't, you know, they don't think that things should be fun. Um, and I think everything should be fun. I don't think there's a scenario under which fun wouldn't improve a marketer's ability to talk to the consumer. Yeah, well, I know my students wish everything was fun. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and, and we all, well, by we, the way, everybody does. So yeah, here's the point. All, we, yeah, we think of kids as being the, we think of kids as being the, the case study or the prototype for that idea. But the truth is that's a core human drive. We want to be engaged. We want to have fun. 
And the brands and products that are better able to capture that using gamification are the ones with, um, you know, with extra juice. Yeah, and so that, that brings us to this whole strategy uh, that's called gamification. And, um, you know, when, when I mention that name to, to people, a lot of times they say, oh, cool, you mean I get to just play video games all day mm -hmm. instead of working? And mm -hmm. obviously that's not what gamification is, but can you tell us what it really is? Yeah, I mean, look, it's the process of using ideas from games and loyalty programs and behavioral economics, but all kind of rooted in um, you know, human behavior and game design. It's using the best ideas from those disciplines to create engagement and change people's behavior. So it's not, so gamification is not playing a game. Is that, is that correct? It can sometimes be playing a game, but um, that's not the only thing that it is. In fact, most... I think most like successfully gamified, uh, you know, business products tend to look more like a loyalty program than like a game. They manifest more in that form, but loyalty programs are kinds of games, right? So I think at the core, you know, people love to play games. They play all kinds of games. Um, but if we're thinking about like video games canonically, right, compared to other kinds of games, not every gamified experience should be a video game. In fact, very few of them should look like a video game. Um, well, what should they look like? Or I should ask, what do they look like? Can you, can you give us an example of, of a concrete gamification experience, you know, in the context of consumer behavior and marketing? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many of them, right? I think, you know, the couple that I always go back to to help explain this is the McDonald's Monopoly game. A very, very clear example. This is a marketing promotion, a program in which you, you play Monopoly at McDonald's. I think they, they sometimes uh, pause it for a couple of years and then bring it back. And it's literally a Monopoly game in which you get the cards by buying products, and then you take those cards and you complete a board. And if you complete various, uh, you know, various sets on the board, you can redeem that for prizes. Now, if you're an astute observer of marketing, you'll notice it it's the hybridization of two different uh, examples of game-like behavior. One, a loyalty program, because the basic action of play is you buy something, we give you a blank. Then you collect those blanks, and when you put those blanks together, you get a right? Um, so that's a loyalty program's behavior. And then it's layered on top with various other game uh, mechanics, for example, completion. So the idea that you have to actually complete a set of three in order to be able to get something from this game, that's a very core like game design principle. Um, so so that, that maybe looks a little bit more like the games that people are expecting. Take it to the far opposite extreme. Uh, I'm sure most of your listeners have seen the Apple Watch and how it, um, how it tracks your behavior every day, making sure you take your steps, making sure you stand up, making sure you breathe as needed. There's these little rings in the display that close, right, as the people, as you actually accomplish the goals that you, you've set out for yourself each day. That is another example of gamification, again, about completion, where you have a strong drive to complete this circle, to complete this loop. And, you know, you could easily have done, as we used to do, Apple easily could have just put a number there, Right. They could have put 9,000, you know, like a counter. And when you get to 10,000 steps in a numerical counter, 
you know, you've reached your goal and you know that. And that's, that's how we used to design products and some people still design products. But what Apple understands about gamification and many other companies do as well, it's got to be something that's like got an inherent element of fun and connectivity, not just the like raw data, like here's the number of miles you've flown. So, so to be clear, we're talking about digging deep into what makes games fun rather than just reproducing games. What you're saying is, uh, you know, for example, may, maybe ra- uh, frequent rewards rather than just a reward at the end, and and some other things like that. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, and that and and I think also to understand, you know, when it is appropriate to make something that really looks like a game. So, for example, last year I collaborated with Samantha B on the creation. We co-created a game called "This Is Not a Game," the game, which was a game for. Um, it's a lot of a lot of use of the word game. Um, it was a game for, you know, persuading people to go out and vote for the U.S. midterm election. And it was in the style of a trivia game, an HQ trivia game, in Sam's voice, so very kind of acerbic and funny and politically relevant, and it was a absolute smash hit. I mean, it, it had millions and millions of users, 5 million, 10 million users, and, you know, got hundreds of thousands of people out to vote. It was, you know, arguably the biggest political game, uh, gamified uh, intervention ever done, and possibly the largest games for social good that's ever been done. And, you know, at the core, we, we designed a really fun game-like experience. There's no ambiguity that this is not a game, the game is a game, right? It's unambiguous. But for a marketer to be able to do that for a product or service, you've got to be absolutely sure that a game frame is the correct way to present it. So gamification gives you these tools. It lets you bring in the ideas from games in many different ways based on whatever's appropriate for your product and your customer. Mm-hmm. So as you noted, a lot of applications are in terms of loyalty programs where people are, uh, are reaching some goals, like I might become a platinum or something like that yes, with right. American Airlines. Right. Um, and so I, I think... For a lot of people who who know about gamification, they equate it with badges that you get, you know, badges mm-hmm. of achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're all we're all becoming like Boy Scouts, right? Where we win our merit badges and we wear them proudly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one thing I'm curious about is what what happens if if uh, you do your job too well and everybody starts to buy into gamification, and everything we do has a badge attached to it. Uh, is that is that going to be a problem for gamification? I mean, I don't really think so. That's that's a question that I get asked pretty often, and, and you know, and I think it's an astute question. But I don't, I don't really think that that's a problem, right? Um, and you know, it's like it's like this: Netflix has come along, and Hulu has come along, and now Apple TV has come along, and Amazon Prime Video have come along. They have increased the total quantity of content available for you to consume by an order of magnitude, right? When I was a kid, there were like three channels. And now it's like this insane cornucopia of content. That increased availability of content hasn't caused people to say content isn't important. So I, I think there's often a kind of like a, a misunderstanding of what you know badges or rewards or stuff are. If badges and rewards are correctly architected, if they are correctly done, then um, you, they will be valuable in and of themselves. They will be intrinsically valuable. You know what I'm saying? So, so people will want them. 
And as long as people want them, it doesn't matter how many of them exist in the, in the world. People will still want it. So the badges are just, are just one way to get at this. Uh, uh, you know, the, I, I think your, your core mission is just to make everything more fun. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it, I, and I think we have a wide range of, um, you know, wide range of possible ways to accomplish that. But at its core, gamification is about looking at your product, looking at your marketing, looking at your communication strategy and saying, okay, how can we tap into uh, this game behavior in order to drive more engagement with users? And we have a very wide palette of things that we can work with, very, very broad. So when thinking about it, I always recommend that people start with, a strategic session. So there's, you know, training that I do and, and I'm not the only person. You can also take other training um, and you can have people come in and facilitate a session on, uh, you know, creative ways of, of generating engagement using fun and gamification. And then based on that strategic process, uh, you know, the rest of it flows from there. I, the thing I want to caution everybody about is like, don't show up to your next marketing meeting being like, I've got a great idea, let's make a game. Because in fact, when you dig in, you may find that making a game is, is far from the right thing to do. Yeah, and you may find that you're losing the game at that point. We, we certainly don't want that. All right, well, this is, this is great. And, you know, it just reminds us, I think we're all kids at heart. And at the end of the day, we just, all we want to do is have some fun. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So uh, this has been a lot of fun talking to you, Gabe. And, and thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to We Are What We Buy. Please join your host, Dr. Michael Solomon, again next Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a winning week.